Hi, everyone. This is Stephanie Rupert, host of the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we rethink, reinvent, and gain a deeper understanding of the stuff that matters most. Today is episode number seven, and that means that it's a recap episode. So last episode was episode number six, and I had on Professor Eric Steinhardt, a brilliant philosopher, logician, computer scientist who helps who is working to rethink our metaphysical worldviews, is working to build a spiritual vision on a scientific worldview that's very technological. You know, it's built on information and complexity and bits, and um, it's really, really fascinating. So um, what I do in uh, these recap um, episodes or debrief episodes is um, respond to listener questions about the topics at hand or anything else, if it comes up, talk a little bit um, more personally, more practically about how these kinds of ideas matter or can be relevant to our personal lives, you know, especially if we didn't get to it on the podcast. Um, basically, I hear respond to um, to your needs, to, to, to what you want. Um, some quick housekeeping before I jump in. Again, um, show notes for this um, episode. Uh, will be at stephanierupert.com. Uh, as ever, I am giving away books to people who leave reviews of the podcast because thank you. Uh, free books. Uh, if you want to know what books are available, there's very many and they're all awesome. So you don't have to look at the list of books if you don't want to. You can just trust me. Um, or you can go look uh, at stephanierupert.com slash book giveaway. Uh, you can find out what the books are that I'm giving away. But if you leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot as you're leaving it and then email it to TMO everything, all one word, lowercase at gmail.com. And then you'll be entered into a drawing once weekly that happens once weekly uh, for uh, to get a free book. And again, that's just because I want to thank you. Unfortunately, I can't buy books for everybody. So uh, it's a drawing. Um, so yeah, these are uh, the housekeeping issues and now we can move on, talk about, respond to questions. So today's question about uh, Professor Eric Steinhardt's work about spiritual naturalism, the first thing that I want to address comes from actually a colleague, uh, so I don't have uh, a question that somebody wrote in, it comes from a colleague who was very puzzled or interested in how these sorts of viewpoints can, uh, one can change to them. One can, uh, like, uh, what's the word? Convert. One can convert to a spiritually naturalistic kind of view. Um, yes, one, one can, but the, the process is, is very interesting. So I'll give you my few cents um, on all of this sort of thing. So Eric's, Professor Steinhardt's vision for spiritual naturalism is not unlike many of the things that I have encountered in my work over the course of the last mm, seven or so years. I've been deep in the field of what is known as religious naturalism. And this is where people are trying to construct, they call them religious, they're causing spiritual, trying to construct um, sacred, religious, something existentially important worldviews that are naturalistic, scientific. They don't have... Um, God concepts, uh, supernatural Jesus concepts, discarnate entities, spirits, ghosts, what have you, they're naturalistic. Um, 
And it's a really big struggle. Most of the books that you find in the field will deliver this beautiful series of chapters on the metaphysics and epistemology and, you know, yada, yada, philosophical ground foundations of these worldviews. And then in the final chapter, the author will often say, so far as how these ideas might be implemented in real life, I don't know if somebody else has to do it. And that's, that's really unfortunate, but it, but it's very real. You know, the people who are engaged in, in designing these kinds of ideas are not the ones who are um, out and on the ground often. Sometimes they are, but they're not the ones like doing the daily practice of leading spiritual communities or blogging or whatever, writing podcast episodes. Um, and so it's, it's really hard, A, to sort of see how these kinds of visions can be realized, if or should they be realized. You know, that's, that's another question, and that's a very, very important question. Um, so that aside, just knowing that that's true, processes of conversion, you know, when you, when you come from any kind of beliefs, when you decide that you're dissatisfied, when you're looking for something and say you stumble upon this spiritual naturalism that Professor Steinhardt proposes or any of the religious naturalisms that I've encountered, what do you, what do you, what is, what is that process like? So I attended seminary for my master's degree and in the first few weeks of being there, I was at a very liberal seminary at Boston University. And in the first few weeks of being there, we did a lot of biblical criticism. We talked about science. We, the, I was so amazed the professors there, the team, the administration was not shying away from the realities of today's world, was not shying away from science, was not shying away from uh, philosophy and our culture and, and all of the things that have happened and realities that we have to face. And so many of the students who had faith with a capital F, you know, faith in, in the biblical stories or in God or in Jesus existing in a particular way, in a particularly personal way, in the first few weeks, like went through serious existential crises. And I had a, a close friend who told me, and he had grown up in a fundamentalist, you know, evangelical home, what have you. And he said, you know, there's something that, like, there's a sacred shimmer there was to his world. And then when that vision broke for him, the sacred shimmer, the light coming through the trees, the droplets of water, you know, falling off of a flower or whatever, the things that you see that make life feel sacred, all of a sudden they lose their sacred edge, or they did for him. Converting, and especially from a, a worldview where you deep hold on to beliefs, beliefs that are you know, deeply important to you, can be shattering. And it happens for people in, in so many different ways. You know, when you move away from a capital F kind of faith and move into something closer to what Professor Steinhardt does, which is arguably a faith of its own sort, but with a lowercase f and, you know, lots of footnotes and apologies and caveats and, and what have you, you know, it's very self-critical and it's, um, he, the word he used was liberating. And in a sense, yes, like knowledge of yourself and understanding 
can be very liberating, but liberation is often terrifying. And we see this time and time again in our lives that liberation can be wonderful and exultant, but also terrifying. And so what, you know, what do you do about that? Where do you find your comforts? in any kind of process of conversion. You know, a lot of conversion cases actually, according to data, according to studies, it's about your religious community. A lot of people move just because they're persuaded by factors that are not having much to do with the doctrine. You know, maybe you're dissatisfied with your minister, you don't like the way that they're interpreting things, or uh, you don't fit in in the community, or, you know, you don't like the cookies after whatever. Like a lot of these conversion experiences that we see are actually about community and connection and where you fit and where you feel good and, and how spaces take care of you. And so something that I think is really important, if you happen to be going through some sort of seeking moment or conversion experience, uh, or, you know, deciding that you want to find something new for yourself, something that's, you know, a spiritual naturalism, and maybe, especially in this case, like you do not have you do not necessarily have a community to turn to. So A, you could find a community, a religious community or otherwise, and, and live within it and keep your own values. You know, find one that's very open. Find one um, that's very flexible. I am a huge fan of the Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, not technically a member, but close. Um, I love them dearly. And they're very open and welcoming to people asking questions. As a matter of fact, it's one of their foundational principles to support you in the exploration of questions and in finding your own answers. So you can find a community perhaps like that. You can go it on your own. But in this case, specifically, and in both cases, one of the most important things we need in times of crisis is to be around supportive people. You know, it's to be in communities. It's to be uh, held, to feel that community warmth, that safety. And it's a vanishingly hard thing to find in, in, in the modern West. But studies have also shown that this is far and away one of the most important things for our ability to feel good in multiple ways. You know, feeling good is infectious and the kind of feeling good that comes from being in community is perhaps one of the most infectious. You know, it relieves the weight of any kind of existential crisis you might be going through is the community. And so if, if you are seeking, I would say find a place where the community is good, where they'll support you in your search. Um, and as for how to do that, there are so many different ways. We have Google now. You can find different uh, religious communities, volunteering communities, um, communities based on common interests. You can find groups of atheists and agnostics and new age spiritualists and naturalistic spiritualists, what have you on places like meetup.com. Um, you can kind of find these kinds of forums, go to conferences, um, religion and science people in the field have, you know, conferences all over the world and like a, a, a nice summer conference on an Island um, in new England. And so Anyway, all of which is to say that these, these types of things exist. And so if you are thinking about journeying into something like spiritual naturalism, where maybe it's a little bit scary, maybe you're letting go of something that uh, has been important to you for a long time, maybe at some point in your life your faith has been shattered, 
um, there is there is a lot a lot there. But but one of the things that I that I would most um, recommend is finding you know people in your life to to hold your space. And that that is definitely a, a kind of uh, power all its own that can carry you through those transitions. Um, another colleague, I was you know having coffee with them the other day. Another colleague was when I told him about Eric's work was really curious about, and we talked about this in the in the podcast with Eric was really curious about the viability of these kinds of beliefs. Like, you know, are are we going to be able to? convince people, should we, are we going to be able to convince people to like adopt that kind of worldview? You know, and, and Eric, Professor Steinhardt said it would take maybe hundreds of years. And I think he's absolutely, absolutely correct that that kind of change does not happen quickly. And I don't think that, and, and do I think this kind of change needs to happen? Yes and no. I think we need to adapt I think we need to embrace science. I do not think that religious traditions need to die. I do not think that we need to bury Christianity or Judaism or Taoism or what have you. I really believe that we can keep these traditions alive and, and transform them. And, and I think the way to do that is to embrace them as narratives, to find to embrace the power of their symbols, to maybe change what they represent, but still, but still carry those narratives. And so I think those kinds of, I think those kinds of religions can and should survive. I think uh, looking for one particular world order, one world religion is never going to happen and, and shouldn't, you know, differences as important as unity. Uh, and but this kind of worldview, I think, can and should flourish too, especially you know popping up into all of the vacancies that we're seeing in in people's you know religious spiritual lives, what have you, in in the modern world. And um, these, so people can sort of choose or feel their way into what is best or nothing or or what have you. Um, and then this kind of spirituality, this kind of thinking. Um, and we have another guest on. Uh, I don't. I'll episode five, perhaps, uh, talking about, um, you know, the, the limitations of science as, as a worldview, you know, can everybody relate to science as something that's sacred or that facilitates a relationship with the sacred? Can science uh, be a source of wonder for us? That's Lisa Sedaris's question. Can science be a viable source of wonder? For a lot of people, no. I don't think so. But for many, yes. And, and that's why I think these kinds of worldviews are viable, but they don't have to be embraced by everybody. You know, we don't need to ram a particular vision down people's throats. We just want everybody to have a nice vision and, and hope that we can get along. And yes, I have preferences and uh, personal preferences, and I think some are better than others. Yes. Um, but I think that that is going to be the way that we pick our way through this. Uh, and hopefully through a lot of talking and a lot of listening. Um, and speaking of which, I've been talking for a while now. These debrief episodes are quick. So I'm going to go. Quick reminder. If you want a free book, want to be entered into a giveaway for a free book, send a snapshot of your review to tmoeverything at gmail.com. 
and you'll be entered into the giveaway. I am Stephanie Ruper. You can find me at my website, stephanieruper.com, uh, and Facebook and Insta. Thank you so much for listening. Please always feel free to send your questions and concerns through the social media outlets or the TMOE Everything email account. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you.